I think it's really important to understand that cryptography in and of itself provides a new form of sovereignty and that this new form of sovereignty, in my opinion, is the only way that we return to having a true law that is actually a commonwealth where we all have the equality of the law or better yet, we have the equanimity of the law, but the respect of the individuality through it. So for me, what crypto sovereignty is, it's about the artistry of utilizing cryptography in this way to create new systems that we can utilize for self-empowerment. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, the Bitcoin philosophy show with Knuts van Holm and me, Luke the Pseudofin. Today, we have a very special guest returning to our podcast, Eric Kaysan, Bitcoin philosopher, crypto anarchist, cypherpunk, and good friend of the show. Eric is with us in person this time, recorded at Baltic Honey Badger 2023, to take a walk through history, philosophy, politics, Bitcoin, and more. In this episode, we talk about Eric's views on crypto sovereignty, the topic of his book of the same name. We also draw parallels between the atomic bomb and the risks that AI poses. We discuss progressivism and conservatism in the Bitcoin community and investigate the conjunction of cryptography and Bitcoin. It's always great to talk to Eric. This time was no exception. Before we jump in, a quick reminder that the best way you can support the show is to send us a boost or stream us some sats via a value for value podcasting app such as Fountain. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, check it out on Fountain. You can earn sats from listening and you can support us and all your other favorite shows. You can also support us on Geyser Fund or send sats directly to our lightning address, freedom at getalbi.com. And if you want to exchange your dirty fiat, you can support us on Patreon. All our links are in the description. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the channel. Even if you're listening as a podcast, head over to the YouTube channel and subscribe to us there. It would be a big help. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way, Zelox, and BitcoinBook.shop. All their information is in the description and we'll be talking a bit more about them later. And now, without further ado, here is Eric Kaysan on The Freedom Footprint Show. How are we doing this, Luke? And are we... Oh, we're already rolling, guys. So, I mean, right. uh, let, let's, just, let's, just, let's just keep it going. I mean, as, as, as Knut said, like, you're, you're our first proper returning guest. And, and, I mean, we didn't plan this exactly, but this is awesome. Like, uh, awesome to run into you and uh, meet you in person for the first time. And uh, for me. Yeah, it's I mean, funny because, like, <laughs> like, it felt more casual with you. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I didn't even really... Like, I realized it was our first time, but at the same time, because we know each other. I know, it's awesome. <laughs> It's funny because this hat, there's like a number of people this happens with, like with John. Yeah, too. yeah. Every time yeah. I start talking, John's like, God damn it, I wish I was recording. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's so many, like, especially here in Riga, I've had so many similar experiences with that. That's bumping into someone and you instantly connect on like this level that is just beyond because they're, you meet people that actually think about things. And it's, yeah. Well, I mean, like, also- isn't that the truth of, of we're not all here? Because of Bitcoin, but because of the form of thought that Bitcoin allows. Yeah, and instills within us. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and that's the, yeah, I mean, my shtick nowadays is that you are your Bitcoins and we, we all, all are the network. Like, we're not only Satoshi, but we are the actual Bitcoins because they're just information that makes them us. And I, I think that's, to some extent, why they but why they change us so much because like you don't change bitcoin bitcoin changes you that's that's profound like that's so true like you are the killer app of this thing it's not this is not a killer app of <laughs> it is you like and it changes you 
Well, I think it's that that spark of realizing that there is a truth that we can follow that like it it jump starts thinking in like the truest sense of what it is. Yeah. And I think because like part of the nihilism of contemporaryism is that it's so deeply authoritarian that it feels like thought itself is almost seditious and misleading because how could this thing be of value to you when, you know, you can see out in the world if you just obey what's being told, you'll live a relatively comfortable life. But then having this experience and encounter of like, wait, there's this other radical truth that's happening yeah. that maybe can resolve all of the problems of fiat and yeah. of the nihilism of politics and the inescapability of the fiat economy. It truly awakens us and starts to transform us. Yeah. You know, and I was always sharing earlier, like, I, I, I literally don't know who I would be or even if I'd be alive without Bitcoin yeah, yeah. because of that hope and the way that it rescued me from the nihilism yeah and uh, i mean uh, a caged animal at the zoo can live a relatively comfortable life as well (laughs) but it's still caged yeah and i mean a a lot of sort of my presentation in crypto sovereignty is this understanding yeah crypto sovereignty is your new book we should oh yeah let's let's show it i'm not good at showing stuff so So i have a new book it's yeah buy his book at my books yeah buy buy all the books (laughs) Um, and Luke's whenever he writes one. Yeah. yeah. We're all going to have books soon. Enough, yeah. yeah. So. Um, but it, it's available through, through Bitcoin magazine. They're the yeah. publisher. Um, if you, if you buy it within two weeks, you get a, a set of steak knives, right? Uh, uh yeah. yeah, maybe you, you, you yeah. might be one of the ones you pick for the set. It, I, if you want, <laughs> I'll sign in. I'll put a steak knife. <laughs> there you go. It can be hard to ship to Riga though. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was supposed to get my book. I'm not, I'm not sure if they actually arrived. But anyways, the reason for the book isn't to show a book, but because I just want my thoughts out there. And I think it's really important to understand that cryptography in and of itself provides a new form of sovereignty. And that this new form of sovereignty, in my opinion, is the only way that we return to having a true law that is actually a commonwealth where we all have the equality of the law. Or, or uh, better yet, we have the equanimity of the law, but the respect of the individuality through it. Equanimity? Maybe not. Well, uh, well, I'm kind of... Uh, explain the word, the word acronymity. Acro- is one of those words uh, I find it, it difficult. Can you speak Swedish? So. Yeah, yeah. It, it's more of the, uh, the access to the equality of opportunity as opposed to okay. actually saying that we are equal. Yeah. So, so it's like providing the level playing field so that we can have the fair game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people will mistake that to like essentially trying to homogenize everyone and say, yeah. no, we're all equal no matter what, even if you happen to have brain damage and I happen to be Albert Einstein. <laughs> ATIQ. <laughs> exactly. The ATIQ meme, you know? Yeah. Did you see Giacomo's talk? I did. We had That's a great Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Before, oh, yeah. Yeah. Where I was, because uh, I was pointing out like, uh, there seems to be a real quality of midwittery where there's an esteem and ego that asserts mm-hmm. itself that both the midwits and the geniuses seem to actually lack and in, in, in them just questioning themselves to be like, well, I'm kind of yeah, a dumbass. Yeah. I think we're, uh, it's, this show is going to be quite hard to follow if we just keep on talking about stuff that recently happened. It's kind of hard to follow 
no, thoughts no, no, about but, a talk that didn't happen. No, but this is okay. <laughs> like, like uh, this is this is super relevant because the, the, this ADIQ thing is 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 part of a current issue within the Bitcoin community. And the, the funny thing is, like, sometimes we get to a point where we're talking about like a so-called current thing, and then <laughs> it goes away in like a month or something. Like, yeah. that sort of happened with ordinals. But but I I think I think what we're talking about here is like a fundamental difference between actually I'll give I'll give some credit to uh, to Peter McCormack on this one like he had a tweet that 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 observed that the ordinals crowd and the drive chain crowd seem to be liking the same things and it, it sort of exposed a bit of a liberal Bitcoin community and a conservative Bitcoin community yeah. as in as in conserving. Liberal might have also been the wrong word. It's just more like uh, prog- progressive. Maybe actually is a better word here. Okay. But like, what do you what do you think about that division? That there's sort of an, an opening up of of uh, the people who want to c- conserve the protocol and keep it safe and and running, and then the people who want to do stuff to it. I think that this is this really healthy dynamic of essentially like the toxic Bitcoin crowd are these internal agitators that are always going to remind us of the truth of the mission, the need to have a true alignment of incentives in a thoughtful way. And the understanding of that introducing anything else is going to change those incentives in some way or form. Uh, And also the people on the outside that are pushing ongoing developments that truly are needed. And a great example is like much of what's being built today was only possible because of getting SegWit integrated. And that was a long and difficult and arduous debate. And particularly once people stopped pushing as hard and there could be a real open dialogue about how this was going to help Bitcoin, did the possibilities that it introduced actually start to, to come in? So, so to me, like this is the truly political process of Bitcoin that's very sloppy, messy, difficult and important. Because this is the only way that like we're actually going to figure out what we need as the developments. Like I personally don't think that we're at a place of ossification yet, because I still think that there are some updates that need to be done in addition to, you know, like you think it will ever hard fork again successfully? I mean it hard forks all the time, but I, I think yes, because of the what is it like the 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 2093 bug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that thing that needs to be fixed. So there, there's an issue in Bitcoin that needs to be fixed. Yes. Otherwise, we're fucked, basically. Yeah. But, and I think that this is important because it, it gives us the responsibility of knowing and understanding that this will happen at some point in time. And the question is, is how much do we want to get in front of that? Or do we want to get it right up to the boundary for it to be a real crisis point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, I really appreciate that there is this responsibility coming from both sides. Yep. Um, and like, I've gotten some shit for uh, like, I, I think inscriptions are like a pretty important new technology that that Bitcoin can access in a meaningful way and utilize like the fact that Tank Man is now on the time chain, I think is a really important thing. And I think future Tank Man. Yeah, it's this the during the the Chinese democracy protests and oh yeah yeah the, the Tiananmen Square guy yeah. yeah so 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 tank man in Tiananmen Square that's an illegal image in China and you can now see it directly on Bitcoin's blockchain because of what inscriptions yeah. have offered yeah now with that being said like ordinals itself is just a randomized catalog you know it, anybody could do it or present it it seems to mostly be for people to present kitsch NFT bullshit that's going to be yeah. trend towards zero and at the end of the day like. If people want to waste their money on that, that's fine. If, yeah. Like, if you think that a stat is going to be worth more than a stat, 
you're welcome to that. I think it's dumb, but ha- feel free. And this is one of the places that, that I think people can get to extremists is that uh, in the puritiness of being like nothing on the blockchain except for financial transactions, I don't necessarily accept that on its face because there could be more valuable applications that I simply don't know well, about. Well, to begin with, what constitutes a financial transaction is entirely subjective. Like homogeneity is subjective. Like there's no such thing as fungibility, really. Yeah. Everything is different to different people. Like, so there are no clear boundaries here. And that's that's why it's so hard to box in and like explain in simple ways, because it requires this understanding of the subjective nature of everything in economics, right? Yeah. And like that, it's a real double-edged sword because on one hand that provides like the total field of possibilities that we can actually access through economics. Yeah. However, also like that means we have to do the real work to understand all of that stuff. And yeah. that's one of the reasons that we have such endemic fiat brain is that people don't know how to actually think for themselves no, because no. they've been told what to think for so long Yeah, that the foreignness of thinking for themselves feels wrong in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. You know, and for me, that's been one of the greatest struggles in me trying to orange pill people is people being like, well, what, why does it have value? And I just yeah, get yeah, really yeah. frustrated because yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, think about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to give an outline, how, which I think uh, has tangents to all of this. Like, the, the way, first, the way I see like Bitcoin conservatism and Bitcoin progressivism, or whatever you may call it. Like, I got a question two days ago about like, what do you think would have happened if it would have been 42 million instead of 21 million and like the 100 sets or uh, uh, 100 coins the first four years instead of 50 and so on and so forth and the thing is we know that bitcoin works now and we know that history played out the way it did what we do not know is if you change any of the parameters if that would have ever happened <laughs> so so we're here to study this thing and observe it behave in certain ways, but we like we cannot know what would have happened if any of the things were changed. And it's very close to like the you know the parameters of the universe, the the uh, the universal constants like pi or uh, like <laughs> stuff like that, the speed of light and whatnot, the uh, the the weak force and the strong force. Uh, we don't know. Um, we're here to observe it and. The, the thing is, this is the thing that religious people often tell me, that it seems designed because it, it, it couldn't have worked if the, this, it, the universe wasn't as fine-tuned as it is. But the thing is, if it wasn't as fine-tuned as it is, you wouldn't have been here to observe it in the first place. So like, that's a, a, a loop argument to me. Mm-hmm. And it also, in history, when, when you say that like we figured out free market economics in Western democracies, or or that Judeo-Christian tradition led up to this point, and we wouldn't have this without that. I, I mean, it's impossible to to know. Or, and like wars created great inventions, like the GPS and the radar and whatnot. And it's impossible to know if those things happened because of or despite of the the course of history Mm -hmm. so i think we we ought to be a bit more humble when when seeing the correlations between things because like it's it's very likely that the scientific process would have been smoother and faster if we hadn't had you know religious institutions (laughs) trampling down on on scientists during the enlightenment for instance but also uh the other point of view that we had this robust uh 
Judeo-Christian tradition, maybe that's what led up to these people thinking about these things at all. But my point is that we don't know, like, there's no way to tell how history would have played out if any of the, it's the butterfly effect thing. Like, if you changed something here, you change everything else. It's like, it's like the back to the future loop. If you could go back in time and change a little, little, little thing, you change everything. <laughs> so, so, and that plays into this Bitcoin conservatism thing because, uh, I mean, many of the people don't understand the BIPs and understand the issues, myself included, a lot of the time. Uh, but there's a case to be made for conservatism in, in Bitcoin just because it's delicate. Like changing any of the parameters might ruin the entire fucking thing because for some reason we don't know. Uh, so, so that's, and I think there are parallels here to the history with relig organized religions, the history with like how we view the universe, the history with science and everything. Like there's, there's a lot of parallels. In well, it's interesting because you actually touch on like a much deeper philosophical point of that, that this idea that we know something yeah. is actually like the path towards hell and like, and like very real genocidal, horrific amounts of killing have happened under this rubric of that we thought we actually knew what the right answer was. And we yeah. insisted upon that answer so intensely yeah. that, you know, here in Europe, it had, you know, World War II was about that becoming so loud and escalated that there was literally a class of people that were like, the only way to deal with this Jewish problem is the final solution. You know, and like, like, yeah, you, yeah. And, and like, to be clear, when you look at the Nuremberg trials, like these dudes literally thought they were doing the right thing. Yeah. And like, it's insane. And this is what Hannah Arendt pointed out. She was like, look, Eichmann sincerely believed that he thought he was doing the right thing by obeying his duty to the state. And he made yeah. a whole argument that if people weren't going to do their duty to the state, no. that it would just be chaos and anarchy. And she was like, look at this midwit and how when <laughs> you ask him to think about an ethical prerogative on his own accords, he has no self-referenceability except for pointing back to the state. Yeah. She was like, this is literally what evil is yeah. because it's incapable of thinking. It reminds me of like the um, one of the last chapters of the White Pill by Mike, Michael Malice about the Soviet Union and the East Bloc, and how how there were uh, people who were wrongly accused of different crimes, and they willingly, you know, admitted to having committed these crimes and willingly put themselves in the gulags, in the actual gulags, uh, because they thought, you know defending the system that put them there was more important than defending their own civil rights, you know? And, and that, that's what a bad enough system can do to, to people's brains. You know, you're like, you, you refuse to let go of this appeal to authority and all hell happens. Like that's, that's the most dangerous thing. Like the atomic bomb <laughs> and yeah, my talk tomorrow is about Oppenheimer and, and Satoshi Nakamoto and the similarities, like how they harness the power of physics to change human incentive structures. And I think the, the crucial thing that Oppenheimer le left out of his equation, that like he saw, he saw this thing, he rationalized it, at least according to the movie, he rationalized it to himself by thinking that if, I, if we construct this extremely destructive thing, then we end all wars because game theory says so, because no one will bomb one another anymore, especially not the, especially not the attack the U.S. because doing so is probably in all probability a suicidal move. So that's how you stop wars. But he missed 
his own incentives. Like <laughs> he did all the things, all the funding for the Los Alamos and the test bomb and everything. And for him to do his science was this big bag of dangling uh, shitcoin, American shitcoins in front of him. And he grabbed it and thereby put this destructive force in the hands of the absolutely the wrong people. I mean, this is the thing. Science is beautiful. Science is fantastic, but it always ends up in the hands of the absolute wrong people. That is governments because, because they're a force for evil. Like, mm -hmm. and this thing is so left out of the equation all at all times. I think like the, uh, the lessons from world war two and everything, the thing that's missing from the conversation is just that, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> If you don't want to be a Nazi, don't be a nationalist and don't be a socialist. Like, <laughs> this is like, <laughs> Wait, we're, we're missing the point. A Nazi? Like, oh my God. stop, stop appealing to authority. That's, that is the problem. Well, it, and it's interesting because Oppenheimer had the particular danger of who and how he was in the world that it gave him a particular egoism to have yeah. him believe that that was okay. Yeah, it was put on a pedestal. Well, and it, yeah. it, it, it makes me think of the parable of, of the frog and the scorpion where the scorpion, you know, it's like, Hey, like, give me a ride across the river frog. And the frog's like, well, you're a scorpion. You're going to sting me. Like I shouldn't do that. And he's like, no, why would I sting you? If I sting you, we both die. You know, that, that, why would I do that? And the frog's like, okay. Frog gives him a ride halfway through scorpion stings him. And the frog goes, what the fuck, man? We're both going to die now. And he's like, yeah, I'm a scorpion. Like, what did you think I was going to do? <laughs> You know, and it's really important to understand yeah. that, like, this is just the nature of what the individuals who wind up in politics wants because it's a power game and a power dynamic. So they're going to say whatever they need to say in order to be successful. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, like I empathize towards Oppenheimer because it's important to understand that there was a whole class of powerful men who came to Oppenheimer and like, if you don't do this, we're all going to die because the Nazis yeah, get yeah, the yeah. bomb first yeah. and it's going to be a catastrophic and horrific thing. And what's really interesting which, is that which in the end it became anyway. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like it it almost became this sad unavoidability yeah. that you know because of the way that the conflict was escalating yeah. and how technology had offered its service in this way. Did you see the movie by the way? No, I did not. Uh, okay. I, I I probably will at some point, but yeah. I I just wasn't necessarily inspired. No, no. Uh I mean, it's what you'd expect from Nolan. Uh, I mean, okay. it's so it's well acted. The cin cinematography is great. I mean, a lot of the things about the movie is great, but it's somewhat uh, unnecessarily convoluted <laughs> because okay. I, I think he sometimes does that for its own sake. You know, makes makes the movies more complicated than they need to be. Okay, but yeah, yeah I, overall, it's a very good movie. I'd say. I also just kind of take issue with some general historic revisionisms that happens through Hollywood and like it, it I think yeah. it's a, a general inevitability, yeah. but I just find it, it dramatizes all of this in a way that I think it's, it's really important to understand that like when Oppenheimer was doing this, like he had no idea if he was going to be successful. He didn't no. understand the consequences of it, which I think for Oppenheimer particularly is important of that. Uh, I think it's really interesting because in the actual literature, he says that the quote about, you know, I am becoming Shiva, the destroyer of worlds. Yeah. He said that that specifically came to him. Not that he thought it, but that like, that's what came into him. So that's a quote from uh, who, who wrote the that? Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that that's of particular importance just because when he witnessed the horrific destruction it could entail, he realized the, the fundamental truth of that, like he was engaging in some very serious metaphysical stuff that could destroy humanity yeah. on a whole. Uh, the, uh, the, there's a quote from the movie, there's a near zero chance that we might destroy the entire planet because we might set off a chain reaction. Well, and like, and, to me, this is one of the places we're at today that I think is so important with where panoptic technology is at and with where the developments of AI is at. Is that like, yeah, yeah. these are very, very powerful and very, very dangerous tools that uh, yeah. we have put them in the hands of morons that have politicized it. And furthermore, like we're already seeing what the structures look like when implemented. And like, yeah. I always like to point out that the Uyghur genocide going on in China, like this is the perfect genocide because they realize that it's different from what happened in the Holocaust because they're not trying to actually just destroy an entire people. And the reason why is that they found utilizing both propaganda and technology why should you destroy these perfectly useful bodies? Yeah, yeah. What you need to do is hollow them out first. Yeah. And so once you can thoroughly destroy people's culture, when you can totally surveil them at all points in time without them knowing when or where, you can actually just liquidate their culture, propagandize them to make them into good little Chinese citizens, yeah. and you release them back out into the world to be your slaves. Yeah. And now, now you have the perfect genocide because you've liquidated the actual identity of a people's yeah. and you've replaced it with a national identity. Yeah, yeah. You turned you turned people into dogs, basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, oh. and as we were joking earlier, yeah, yeah. the inversion of dog is God. Yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, <laughs> this is how you get a subservient population that acts yeah. like dogs to a yeah. god of the state yeah. is by doing this process to them. Yeah. And this appeal to some type of authority seems to be inherent in people and i know like the i buy the argument for a religious belief that it's better to believe in a you know guy in the sky than a guy on earth because a guy on earth is way more dangerous than but but i think the the, the core issue is like this appeal to authority to exist at all and it seems like a majority of people it's inherent in them they need this you know they they need someone to tell them what to do. It's like uh, they're lost without a, uh, not without the compass, but without the compass salesman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, and and compass salesmen are are dangerous. <laughs> well, and I I think that the, this again is a product of our general world because I think as we see with Bitcoiners, when you're part of a culture where it encourages self thought and the ability to rely on yourself and to think for yourself. Yeah. That's like a muscle that people can work and cultivate for themselves. Yeah. And when you're in a bigger community that does that, you've now elevated this behavior to be an honorable and virtuous thing. Yeah. And so this is one of the th- things that gives me great hope is that uh, like as many NPCs are out there and as dangerous and destructive as it is without being able to have people think for themselves, this is all a product of pliable people that have been manipulated on under under terms of both duress and promises of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things I always find the most intriguing about talking with NPCs about their perspectives is that they they always have a very optimistic and hopeful viewpoint that trusts the goodness in the other. Which is like that that's a really great thing that we need to have. Yeah. But we absolutely need to make sure that that isn't polluted with just a general appeal to authority. That's 
I have I have a point on 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 this one. This is this is like a, a thing in in the vision of where Bitcoin is going to take us that I I still somewhat can't get my head around. And it and it is that if we if we do fix the monetary system and get that all working fine and its incentives are, are good and everything and and reduce the size of government and all this, what do we still do about people who are just going to still ignore that and and be aggressive and e even though the incentives might be reduced to towards aggression there there are still people who who just naturally want to take and i'm and i mean i'll be specific as well like it's a male thing the, to, the, the way i see it is that you what you remove is the the smart criminals you don't remove the the stupid criminals like that they're gonna just you know go to a football game and kick the shit out of one another because they supported the wrong team or whatever so that will probably still be around just this ooh, brute aggressivity uh but but still the the uh, a clever person will realize that if you if you don't know how much another person owns and you can't really take it by force because it's in their heads so you can't kill them then no one gets anything uh what game theory tells us about that is like at best you get away with 50 percent of that person's bitcoin so it's probably better to to interact peacefully so so you like remove the the real dangerous people the psychopaths the the people in charge that conduct world wars and so on the so that's what you take away but petty crime like uh there will of course still be teenagers and and there will be grunts people in british pubs saying oi you know what was the example you were going to use the, what i what i was thinking of is is that uh our, our friend yoni was telling me a, a little bit about this that there have been some some gang attacks in sweden where where yeah. people have like chopped off fingers or something yeah. if, they, if they don't give them what whatever they're looking for and like yeah it's just dark stuff right and 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 i, th I think what was i latching on to from from what you said it it's it's just is something something like where are we headed uh, i i still don't see the solution where uh it's not exactly about solving the the issue of human nature towards violence it's more like what structures are we going to still need to have that look a lot like today's governments like that's that's the the, the thing that still gets me and and i'm not even thinking in the in the vein of of that we're going to need some kind of actual daddy government. That's not what I'm thinking. You're going to need law. Well, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that the, this is where stuff gets really interesting because where we're at right now is so extremely rudimentary in terms of the form of law that Bitcoin provides because it's uh, essentially all transactional right now. But one of the things that I imagine is, is using something like, like mini scripts or MVN or, or whatever multi-sig scheme you want that there's essentially an ability to put your money into that multi-sig scheme. Guy shows up to cut off my fingers and I go, look, you can look at the address. You can see how much money is there. This isn't a multi-sig that I don't control. And because you asked me to put my password first, I put in actually uh, like a panic password that that has now messaged all of the other owners of these private keys. Yeah. And they know if they show up within the next block with a shotgun to kill you, that they're going to get the amount of money, you know, they're going to get 10% of the wallet or, or however much we've agreed upon. And also that's fluid based upon how quick they respond, who they are, where yeah. they're at. And essentially, like, I think what we're going to do vis-a-vis -vis cryptography and essentially with the time chain as this backbone to sort of keep truth within the sort of law that we're going to implement, 
we're going to create a new form of law that utilizes the cryptographic protocol in such a way that we're going to start playing with it and doing these really interesting things. And, and it's funny, this reminds me of a quote from um, my favorite philosopher who I base most of my work off of, Giorgio Ambigin. And he says that, and this is kind of paraphrasing, but essentially it's like, when humanity starts to play with laws like a disused object, similar to how children play with a disused object, yeah. we can return law, not in order to restore it to its canonical use, but in order to free us from it for good. And so to me, like the great problem with law today is it represents a, a raw and thoughtless form of authoritarianism mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with the law at all. The law is actually about the consensus of what we agree upon to be the law. And it's very, very important to understand what the law is in its traditional form as it is called a commonwealth. This is the traditional idea of what laws supposed to be so first of all common wealth that's literally what bitcoin is it is a wealth that we hold in common because it provides a unitary form of law for both of us yeah but even more interesting is the latin translation of commonwealth is res publica this means the public thing and what's interesting is that the law is the most public of all things to all people and we live in a world today where we don't have a law anymore there's a two-tiered society where there are some people that can get away with the most heinous of all crimes. And, and most particularly, the 20th century was a story of multiple genocides where hundreds of millions of people were killed and not a single individual was murdered. That's extremely important to understand that a hun hundreds of millions of people were destroyed and deprived of their life, but not a single human was murdered. Because murder is a legal crime and not a single Jew was killed in the Holocaust was illegal because they were all stripped of citizen citizenship first. Mm -hmm. And that made sure that they had no access to the law in and of itself. This is where we are at today. And I also believe that the crimes that happened in World War II were so extreme and significant that it, it obliterated the law totally because it showed that once you had psychopaths in charge of a nation state, they could utilize the, the policies of the state to destroy other populations of people. And we've witnessed that same strategy executed multiple times since then. Yeah. So uh, what about the case for optimism, though? So like we... Uh, I'm always uh, so dark that people yeah, yeah, really yeah, need yeah. to think press because, up. Yeah, yeah. So, so because the way, a way to look at this is like we have Bitcoin. We have social media. Sure, you can be shadow banned and you can have a harder time reaching the person you want to reach and whatever. But still, even the flawed uh, social media platforms we have today and then Noster and other alternatives are blossoming uh, up slowly but surely as well. But we have those tools and like post COVID or post the lockdowns, uh, Zoom calls and, and uh, stuff have become insane, insanely but much better than they were pre-COVID. Like no one was really doing Zoom calls on a daily basis before, before the lockdowns. So that sort of forced us to d develop this technology. And now you can reach any person regardless of where they are on the globe. I mean, we can record a podcast with, with Rob, for instance, when he's in Hawaii with no lag. And the, the program we use, the AIs are so good now, and there's a, a race to become the dominant 
software for for stuff like this so so the program can edit this stuff for us cut out the noise you know uh if we have two cameras it 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 uh switches to the other the person that's about to talk before he starts talking all of this stuff is happening in real time it's the 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 speed of the technology improvements is just insane how how good that is and so all those tools are there and yeah and you add bitcoin to that it's just all the tools are there. I, I talked to the um, to my friend Christian, the the um, founder of BTCX, the oldest Swedish exchange. About and he gave me some numbers of how many customers they have had over the years, and he said around three hundred thousand. And there's another big Swedish exchange, uh, and so if you uh, take into account that there might be some customers that use both services, but add. They're about as big. So add another 100,000. That's 400,000. And let's say there's 100,000 people that bought of other exchanges or acquired. Sweden's population? 10 million. Okay. So it's 5% of the population that has the power to pay people in Bitcoin because they all own Bitcoin. And 100% of the population has the ability to, to uh, uh, receive Bitcoin. So the the... The economy is already there. Mm-hmm. We just have to tap into it. People just have to start accepting Bitcoin for the goods and services, and the, you're out. You don't have to worry about the government anymore. <laughs> like it's it's really that simple. And if you add all the, you, you know, as you were alluding to the multisigs and the coin joins and whatnot, and like all these technologies, they are already there. And the the educational platforms and the the content that is out there you you can learn how to be a sovereign individual i mean i'm working on a um a course uh, based on my praxeology book on a a platform called uh, emeralize uh, which is like udemy and um, uh, powered by uh, lightning so it's a cross between udemy and maybe substack yeah uh, hmm. And this course is going to be a part of a, a master's program in self-sovereignty. Like, <laughs> and this is not the only thing. I'm just a tiny part of an uh, Emeralize is also just a tiny part of this ecosystem that is building around this thing. So I think there's a great case to be made for, you know, we've got this. Everyone in this community knows that CBDCs are shit. And we know that like there are ways around all these things. And once, I mean... People are going to look at us like, uh, <laughs> look at those guys. They seem to be happy and like not worried about stuff. And and they, that's going <laughs> to, it smittens people. <laughs> like, uh, so so I think, and I think this, that's smittens. Is that even a word? Uh, <laughs> to be smitten. Yeah, yeah well, to be it's smitten. It's a word now. <laughs> that is important because uh, that's how we grow the community and like the spreading this optimism about the future like because being angry at stuff and and and, you know just focusing on oh that this was so fucking bad and this is so fucking bad and we we need to to to, uh, fight this and we need to well just don't worry about it it's like don't retweet shit corners (laughs) don't don't promote governments don't don't even talk about it just show people there's a way to live life without worries because you got a, a tiny stack and you know it's gonna last forever like no i i mean there's the a great point particularly for like the angry rant guy it's probably <laughs> pretty important for me to emphasize that like uh i i feel a greater amount of hope than i've ever felt and every day it grows more Good to and, hear it. And, and you said at the <laughs> beginning uh 
you you'd use the word bloom and that hooked me because i i think right now we're going through a renaissance that is a bloom of ideas that are yeah, exploding yeah. and yeah. and there are so many things going on and it's growing and like you said we have all the technology the ability so much is just an educational aspect and so maybe i'm mistaken but i maybe that gap is going to be much shorter than we think and i think there's a pretty strong argument to say that it will be shorter just because we have such a pliable herd population that once they actually see that like fiat has been defeated and that bitcoin is here yeah and i love pointing out that like the word evangelical in latin means the bringer of good news and that's what we're doing as bitcoiners we're bringing the good news of what yeah, bitcoin yeah. is and it could be very possible that all of these evil forces see this and they go oh shit like oh like our our the game's up i guess we gotta play nice now <laughs> um but in addition to that like this is all initiated through a totally new form of thought that is the self-responsibility to think for yourself yeah and like that that's causing for this extraordinary bloom that you know like i, I think fiat joff even said part of his inspiration for how he built no star was seeing how the bitcoin network operated and getting that having that core cryptographic protocol at, at its core was what allowed it yeah. you know and so for me what crypto sovereignty is it's about the artistry of utilizing cryptography in this way to create new systems that we can utilize for self-empowerment mm -hmm. and nostar is an excellent example of that you know tor is a great example of that but what i want to see is pretty much the entire internet get rebuilt on top of cryptographic protocols like yeah. this it should have been there all along that's that's absolutely the thing. So we have to we sort of have to rebuild it so how are you enjoying this episode so far before we dive back in first a little bit about our sponsors First up, Wasabi Wallet, the privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy to use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. And the best part is they've been making huge improvements to the app. They're really focusing on the user experience, adding advanced features for power users. They just keep getting better. You send your coins to your Wasabi Wallet and they get combined with loads of other coins using the Wabi Sabi protocol. So they're private on the other end. Your tracks are covered, so you can work on expanding your freedom footprint without worrying about your privacy. So, check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. Next up, Orange Bill app, the Bitcoin social layer app for iOS and Android, where you can stack friends who stack sats. You can connect with your favorite Bitcoiners on the app, make local connections, and even connect with Bitcoiners around the world. And a big feature on Orange Bill app is vents. You can see what's going on in your area and connect with Bitcoiners around you. I've been to multiple Orange Pill app events and they brought Bitcoiners together from all over. The best part is, you know it's high signal. There's no spam on Orange Pill app because everyone pays to be there. It's just $3 a month. So download Orange Pill app on Apple or Android and get connected to the Bitcoin social layer. Next up, our new sponsor, The Bitcoin Way. Their mission is to onboard, educate, and remove barriers to taking self-custody of your Bitcoin. They cover everything from cold wallets to nodes, no KYC Bitcoin purchases, inheritance planning, payments, and more. Whether you're new to Bitcoin or you're an experienced Bitcoiner looking to expand your freedom footprint, or you know someone who this sounds perfect for, the Bitcoin way has something for you. They have a skilled team, well-versed in the Bitcoin space, and their goal is to make all the complexities of Bitcoin as straightforward as possible for everyone. And the best part is you can get started with a free 30-minute call with their team. Go to thebitcoinway.com slash contact for more info. 
All right, back to it. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and brush your teeth. Okay, so yeah. th this actually gets into like a like a question that we've been going at with with a few people. The and, Noster and stuff. The Noster stuff. I think to to your point, I think there's there is a like a kind of a general uh, idea here about kind of these protocols that are built on cryptography, but they're not built on Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? So so it's Bitcoin adjacent Noster it, in the, in that it heavily in, endorses the use of Bitcoin Zaps and. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, using your Bitcoin private key to generate your your Noster uh, profile, the, all this, but but it's not built on Bitcoin. It's it is a separate protocol. And mm -hmm. like, what what is the the uh, role of the cryptography part in this? Like, how important is that part where Bitcoin fixes the money, but the cryptography kind of can can do other things that are are not Bitcoin and. Uh, and I, I would guess you don't have like a shitcoiny perspective on this in the in the sense of that. No, and, yeah. and like one of the things I, I think is really important about understanding shitcoinery is is I reject shitcoinery because it does not elevate itself to the position that Satoshi Nakamoto presented Bitcoin on. Look, like if if Ben Armstrong wants to issue Bencoin and he wants it to get to a market cap of $10 billion and he doesn't spend a single cent of that and the state doesn't destroy him and he distributes it, and he does this bootstrap from the very beginning, like, maybe there actually is merit to that, and maybe it should be successful. But he absolutely didn't do that. Every single shitcoin project has been a cash grab for the founders. No one has tried to actually emulate what Satoshi Nakamoto did. And even if they did, like, the best example I can think of is uh, Grincoin tried to do a fair launch, had an anonymous founder, all that. And even with that, all the VCs fucking piled in and they all spun up AWS servers and it was a total shit show. So I think what Satoshi Nakamoto accomplished at this point in time is fundamentally unachievable by shit coins because of how he presented it and what he did to it. But furthermore, to get back to your question about cryptography itself, to me, this is the absolute key of all things because what allows for us to understand the supply of Bitcoin is the cryptographic proofs that are provided. If we didn't yeah. have those cryptographic proofs, there would be no way to actually no. tell otherwise. And so to me, it's about a technique of presenting information and then proofing it in such a way to say, look at the truth that I've actually implemented here. And so Nostar does the same thing with having a chain of information. And so I'm extremely excited about seeing this generalized technique get applied to other places. Because what, what happens when we get a protocol for, say, self-encrypted VoIP, where you get to own your own servers, you know yeah. that the connection is going to be end-to-end -end encrypted. And like, again, this is one of the extraordinary things that happened in the concourse of human history is, is up until the Diffel-Hyman paper and... I think 1976, a new direction in cryptography, there was a single direction in cryptography that none of this shit was even possible. It didn't even seem possible. It, it was, and this is one of those funny things is that like, I think if you were to go back, you know, a century ago and to talk with philosophers and to say, hey, there's this like magical space that you can write into and talk to anybody on the planet. And to, they would just be like, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this, this couldn't happen. It doesn't make any sense. There's no even point of thinking about it. Okay, uh, the problem I have with all of this cryptography talk is that this, uh, yeah, which was the title of Gigi's talk. The, uh, cryptography is not enough. Oh, yeah, exactly. The, the thing I, like, it's all just numbers. Mm -hmm. It's all just information. 
at its core, Bitcoin is just a bunch of on and off switches in a in a specific order. It's nothing but that. Mm-hmm. Like it's one zero 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 one 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 one. That's all it is. And c- communication through numbers. So Satoshi found a way to to do numbers and communication in such a way that we figured out how to uh, bootstrap a system that was uh, that created a number that was resistant to replicability. So any attempt at replicating that discovery, to me, is redundant and best. Mm-hmm. And a, a cheap cash grab for the most part, because people are stupid and they don't realize that you can't copy uncopyableness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so that, that's why I don't really get how the, all the other stuff comes in, because this system already exists and it, this number, the Satoshi, represents that it represents something that can't be replicated so any attempt that i mean end-to-end encryption is fine but it's not more valuable than you know (laughs) the value lies in you being able to send the message and uh, making sure that no third party can see it but that's sort of end of story (laughs) the um, economic incentives for a social media platform for instance like the users may own their data, quote unquote, but but they're still subject to whoever runs the relay, the the relay or whatever, or like, I, I somewhat suspect that the same thing that happened to, uh, you know, the email protocol, like SMTP and, and whatnot, all the other internet protocols that had no, you know, Bitcoin and the base layer, that the same type of centralization may play out on all these other attempts at making it decentralized because that word decentralized it gets thrown around like it's a trivial thing mm-hmm. but you know decentralization is first of all subjective uh, like i view decentralization differently than any other person and at any like everything else it's subjective mm-hmm. and to me Bitcoin is sufficiently decentralized because I saw the SegWit 2x hard fork fail. That's that's the the point in time for me that made me believe in this thing robustly. Like, they, oh, holy shit, the users really are in charge. It is mm-hmm. unchangeable. But none of the other things that are you know throwing these cryptography buzzwords around and des- the word decentralization around have ever shown me something even remotely akin to that or like like the, mm-hmm. the rejection of the Segwit2x hard fork. We, we haven't seen that anywhere else. So I don't really see how how Noster, for instance, can uh, achieve something like that. It, it might, but at this point, we, we, we have no clue if it will do that or if it will just turn into this centralized nightmare. Like, Well, and I, I think one for Noster, it's really important to keep that question sort of open-ended because I think up until yes. we feel certain about it actually yeah, yeah. being decentralized. Yeah, that uh, that is a true open-ended. And question. right now, it's sort of a taboo subject in the Bitcoin community because, like, oh, we got this new decentralized thing, and Jack Dorsey's on board, and we need to promote this thing, and you know, leave all the other networks without even having, without without knowing where it's going. Well, it, <laughs> or if it even works, it's know? interesting. They sort of tap on to this idea of taboo subjects because, yeah. like, another great one that I think is taboo is uh, 
like El Salvador. Like I'm very suspicious of El Salvador and what yeah, it's yeah. doing. And of I course, really it's a government. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like the the idea of what Chivo Wallet is is like I think that this is a really great way to backdoor Bitcoiners and be able to create surveillance yeah. on a generalized a chain. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, essentially you use Chivo Wallet to then pollute all the outside users that then gives you, uh, you know, a tainted perspective that you can utilize. Okay, another thought about AI. I think what most people misinterpret about AI, and this comes a lot from deep diving into praxeology, Mm -hmm. that what the thing AI lacks is agency. Yeah. So we don't even know if we have free will or not. Like, I, I love the Hitchens quote, like, of course, I have free will. I have no choice but to have it. <laughs> but but it certainly seems like if you take praxeology for a true science, mm-hmm. which I happen to do, like, I, I think it's a very good uh, framework for, for understanding the world. Uh, then you see that deliberate, in order for an action to be deliberate, there needs to be a... a it needs to be preceded by a felt uneasiness on the thing acting. <laughs> like so, so in order for you to act, you need to feel somewhat uneasy. You imagine a future where you do a thing and you get into a better state. Like that's it's the, the pursuit of my yeah, desire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a pursuit of your means and ends. Like that's the basis of all action, deliberate action. And an AI is absolutely not that. It can never be the master. It can only be the slave. It can never make decisions on its own. And people fear this general AI. What they really mean when they say general purpose AI is an AI with agency, basically Skynet, the Terminators, or whatever. Yeah. Or the Matrix. Like that it all of a sudden its uh, consciousness pops up in it in this string of ones and zeros, and all of a sudden it can make decisions by itself. Like right now, it's not doing that. It it's making micro decisions about whatever you prompt it to do, but it's never acting out of uh, because of a felt uneasiness, because it doesn't feel anything, as far as we know, anyway. Sure. And so, so I think that's what the fears about it are exaggerated because of exactly that. It doesn't have agency. It doesn't know what it wants. Like it doesn't want anything. Well, to to be fair, first of all, the the people that are really worried about it, um, they're retarded. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're midwits. Well, I'm like, this is the same Less people than who utilize IQ. the term yeah. hacker, who like yeah. hacking is a magical way that you just get access to information and they yeah. don't realize, no, it's like flawed security protocols. Yeah. And so to me, AI is like a meta tenche, you know, like it, it's a technique that we can apply stuff to. And it's really valuable because, you know, like if you need to build out a database when you're coding, instead of doing that, you just go, yo, chat GPT, like build my database. Yeah. Super valuable. Great. Yeah. The big problem I think is that again, with people are retarded, that there are people out there, specifically in government, who are like, hey, like, let's plug this AI thing like into our surveillance system and like have it locate all the people that we think are bad. You know, like what's a what's a bad person? Uh like yeah. somebody carrying a gun. Like that's a yeah. bad person. You know, and like Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like I'm afraid that the general idiocy of people who don't understand technology, which yeah, again yeah. is the vast majority of government are going to essentially implement these things with no idea yeah. about what they're doing. And to be clear, we've already seen that happen in the United States. Like yeah, yeah. the, I, I forget, and I'm very sorry for this because this person needs to be honored and respected. The individual that recently leaked the data from the United States showing that 90% of the people that were fucking murdering with goddamn drone bombs 
that decision is made by a fucking AI. Yeah. Like literally people are being destroyed by a fucking machine saying, yeah, I'm pretty sure that those brown people need to die because I'm eight miles away, you know, 3,000 or 30,000 feet in the air. Yeah. Like that's a very special kind of insanity that's deeply worrying. Yeah. And yeah. So, so it's not AI at all. It's the fucking retards yeah, behind yeah. the AI. This, this reminds me so much of a particular scene from the Oppenheimer movie. And oh, yeah? it's, it's where they pick the targets for the bombs. Like, so they're in this room. And they're like, uh, uh, how do we demonstrate how fantastic our wonderful new bomb is? And they like, oh, we should choose a military target. Nah, but it needs to make bigger headlines. Let's choose, oh, Hiroshima. That sounds nice. Like, and okay, Nagasaki as well. So like, and then boom, boom, 210,000 people die from a split se second decision like that. And I don't know how historically accurate that actually is, but still, the, the, this is the problem of human incentives that needs to be solved. There needs to be a way to prevent some guy in a room from making a split second decision that kills 210,000 people. Like that's. I, I would like to point out before you go any further, the, the truth is actually much more horrific because what happened was after the first bomb was dropped. Yeah. They were given a 48 hour window to give an absolute and unconditional surrender which the Japanese were more than happy to provide, and they tried to provide it, we prevented them from providing it, and we dropped the second oh, bomb. Yeah, yeah. Oh. You know, and, and to me, like, this represents the same horror and catastrophe that we won. as in... Oh, yeah, <laughs> we, I should not identify, the government. Those assholes. And yeah, and, and this represents the same fucking insanity that was the armistice at the end of World War One, where, and this is an extraordinary fact to me, is that, the final day of World War One, more men died on that day than during the D-Day invasion of World yeah. War Two, and it was because these these absolute despicable, disgusting parasites that call themselves humans in government said, "Well, now that we have the armistice established at 11 p.m. on 11:11, yeah. let's do a full press assault and see how many of the other people we can kill before the game is done." Yeah. And like that's, that's horrible. This is a sort of madness that happens when we relegate the responsibility to other individuals to make choices about life and death. But to me, this is the most important aspect of of Bitcoin uh, because what it does, it, it the core invention is that it removes the the hands of these parasitic institutions to to leash off the value of other people transacting voluntarily with one another. There's no way. To you know, shadowy tax people through inflation when when there's a when people are transacting in Bitcoin, there's no way for a third party to get any of that transaction. Sure, you pay some fee to the miners, but that's there's a free market for that. Like there's no way to to for these assholes to to extract value from others anymore, and that's that's the key thing because that's what kills. The ability for these people to sit in rooms and just pick targets at random. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't understand that, like, that function by itself co collapses all world governments today. The simple inability to be able to steal from people. Yeah. That collapses every single government today. Yeah. And to be clear, like, that doesn't just mean now we live in willy nilly chaos and everybody murders everybody yeah. else. No. 
Like this is a process that we must go through to clear out the space to allow for the potentiality of the next form of yeah. the political to present itself, it, it, which I'm convinced the Internet is going to play a major and pivotal role in the next form of. And I'm very pedantic about this idea of the political versus politics, because mm-hmm. to me, the political is about the <laughs> radical potentiality that people will always have to choose their forms of life versus the contemporary parliamentary democratic forms that we're told creates law and is politics. And so to me, that's a very important distinction because today there is no people anywhere that have access to any form of the political because we've all been forced to be subservient to politics. And Bitcoin to me opens us up to the possibility of the political. That's a great way of framing it. And uh, like... Well, that, that's, a, that's a concept from Carl Schmitt, the uh, famous Nazi jurist who I do a lot of work. <laughs> I, it, it's fucked up. I do a lot of work with Nazi philosophers, not because I'm a Nazi, but because I have a very, very strong critique of these philosophers who are very important, but because the way that liberal wokeism won't deal with them, they mm-hmm. avoid their, what they present entirely, and it's extremely destructive to philosophy. Yeah, that, I think you. I think you just hit on something important, like uh, it, the idea of. I don't have this thought fully fully formed. It just came to me from what you what you just said. But the the idea that you can just just memory hole ideas because they're somehow associated with the the wrong thing. Like it's nineteen eighty four. Well, sure. Like say like uh, not a real example exactly, but if someone if someone says something, J.K. Rowling. Okay, th- this this I'll use as the example. Like. There, there is a serious group of people who who will not touch Harry Potter anything because J.K. Rowling has wrong think, mm-hmm. and yeah. and like this is one of the the most popular uh, book franchises ever, basically, and people liked it for certain reasons, right? But because someone has a wrong opinion, they get completely memory hold, and and. Uh, uh, yeah, I won't mention these while well, I'm mentioning it explicitly. Uh, J.K. Rowling is not a Nazi philosopher, so just to, <laughs> just to throw that out there. But but the example is the the memory holding of ideas and then not dealing with it. So uh, I guess to come to an actual point here is like, how do we deal with the type of culture that wants to erase ideas instead of dealing with them? Yeah, so, uh, just to emphasize on the J.K. Rowling thing before, before because like uh, before the answer because these young actors and actresses that that shun her because she claimed that trans men aren't uh, trans women aren't women or s- something whatever she said, uh, the only reason that they have a life at all is because of her works. <laughs> like so, imagine the uh, what's the word. It's so gross that people, people who are the, talk about biting the hand that feeds you for the wrong reason, like they, they would be nothing without her. Yeah, but like so, so that whole anyway. idea though, like like you look at these ph- philosophers, you, you, like what what even compelled you to do that, and 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 how do you think we we combat the the memory holding of these of uh, of ideas that are associated with controversial people or non controversial people. I mean, one of the things that inspired it, first of all, like my whole philosophical pursuit is like my own leisure and pleasure. So like I wasn't contained within an academic framework framework that 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 usually deprives people of it. So like a, a philosopher that I deeply respect, Michael Millerman, he, he was a doctor at the University of Montreal, I believe. 
Like he he was blackballed and kicked out because he was studying individuals like Heidegger. And to be clear, like Heidegger was a Nazi. And I think his philosophy does fundamentally deal with ideas in Nazism because of how it presents an ethnos of peoples. And I also think it's extremely important to be able to deeply read Heidegger and critique him. And I critique him through one of his students, Levinas. And I think it's extremely important because Levinas deals with all of the problems that Heidegger tries to present and then overcomes them through his presentation of the other. But what's really important in regards to your term is, is that as much as they want to memory hole stuff, you frankly, you can always bring it back up. And to me, the great example is, is that, uh, like I, I have contentious issues with my own family for a number of reasons, but one of the main ones is, is, look, what happened in COVID was really, really destructive, and it raised certain truths of that in the United States, vaccines are given a very special treatment so that they don't have to go through the same rigorous process of all other medicines. And as much as these people yell and scream and freak out saying, no, it's safe and effective, you can turn back and go, but, but we have the documentation from 1985 when the Vaccine Acts passed that specifically say vaccines are unavoidably dangerous or unavoidably unsafe. This is basically the RFK's, RFK's point that people, people listen to like the, the things that he says and it's just, it's, oh, it's anti-vax. But that is specifically the key point, right? That that, that act enabled all this. Yeah. And like the, this is very, very, very important because as much as we engage in the denial and the propaganda of saying safe and effective, very real people are getting hurt and dying because we're not actually looking at what's going on. So to answer your question, as much as stuff gets memory hold and like with the JK Rowling thing, like. Look like trans people with their individuality, how they identify, how they present them in the world. I absolutely want to honor and respect that for who they are. But when you come to me and you insist that that you know a, a man is a woman or a woman is a man, that A is B or B is A, I have to stop and go look. There there are some other things going on here that's part of a long and convoluted debate that I don't think you're available for because you just want to shout me down. In the same way that like, and this is really important to me specifically around free speech and propaganda is I want other people to be wrong. It's really important for other people to be wrong or, or for them to be right and for me to be wrong and them to present their perspectives because we need to have dialogue. In the same way that look like, I, I think Mein Kampf should be published, that National Socialists should be public about what they believe in their stances because I want people to know these people are fucking morons. They're absolutely smooth-brained idiots and I want them to present their philosophy so that you can go, oh, wow, these guys are just actually racist assholes who don't believe in the agency of other individuals. Wow, what fucking shitty people, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead, well, whereas you censor them, they go, this Hitler guy, they won't, like, they won't let anything about him be out. Like, maybe he had something really important and powerful to say. Like, maybe he was actually, like, a really smart and yeah. great guy. Sense and they don't even see backfires. well, and they don't even see that they they contribute and feedback into that in yeah, a yeah. very powerful way. Yeah, that contributes much more so than I think just letting them speak freely. Did Did you read a book by Rothbard called The Ethics of Liberty? Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, it, it uh, to me it was profound because it changed my views on on freedom of speech because he makes the case for the, like the question everyone. Uh, 
forgets to ask themselves is freedom of speech where? And if in a libertarian society where everyone, where there's absolute property rights, you as the property owner get to set the rules of whatever anyone gets to say or not say on your property. So there's no public space and therefore I mean, each individual owning whatever platform like <laughs> gets gets to set the rules on that platform, and I, I think this this misinterpretation of freedom of speech and what it is like because freedom of speech laws are only necessary when there's pro public property, <laughs> and so so they need to be preceded by theft, <laughs> uh, and the, uh, it reminds me of the. I, I don't know if you heard about the Quran burnings in Sweden. Yeah, so the, the, I, I have big yeah. awareness. So, so the whole Arab world is, or I shouldn't say the whole Arab world, but the Muslim world, are, or the Islamist world, or whatever, they're pissed at the Swedes now because there have been some public Quran burnings. And there's a lot of bad things happening because of this. But, but the, thing is, and the thing is that... In order to protect free speech, the Swedish government need to employ uh, a lot of police officers to to guard these people who want to to uh, burn the Quran publicly. Uh, and the media reports about it all the time. And there's debate about whether to change the free speech laws and blah blah blah. And the government always apologizes to the Arab nations afterwards and like, oh, sorry, but we need to do this here. And the thing is, if there was no police protecting them, if a guy was just, I mean, I could go out and burn a Quran on the street here and no one would care. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 so the, the attention this thing gets, that is the problem, not the actual act. It's just that all, all of these arbitrary things become important because the, the, the media machine and the, the, the government machine around it fuels the fire. <laughs> And that's the real problem. It's not the it's not the act, and it's not even the people getting pissed at the act. It's uh, well, then, it then again, the real violence is from the people wanting to actually kill people. If you buy a Quran and burn it, it's your property. Your perfectly <laughs> natural law tells you you can't do that. And there's well, the <laughs> this is the whole point of the media, in my opinion, is that when you make these things into extreme things, you pump the emotions to make people get upset and dramatic. You've now prevented all dialogue, you know? And so, like, I actually think from Quran burning, if people weren't showing up all pissed off wanting to hurt each other and be like, why the fuck are you burning my holy book? Yeah. Maybe there could actually be a really deep and constructive conversation. Yeah. And I can't help but think, like, this is the, the same debate that's going on in the United States around trans stuff. Like yeah. I said before, honor and respect these people for their... There's a very complicated dialogue here that I think is really important to talk about family values in the United States, what we want to represent, and what does it mean that we want to have present a culture like this? And more importantly, and I think this is one that doesn't get touched on a lot, is that one of the most important things to me about women is their child-rearing ability and the ability for us to make a family together. Yeah. Like a, a trans woman fundamentally doesn't have that capacity. <laughs> and there's probably a lot of people that would want to say really hateful things to me. And again, like, I don't want to take away from their ability to identify how they want, but no, it, it seems a little disingenuous to me to have this whole dialogue about, you know, trans women are women, but we don't have to worry about child rearing in any way. And that also like, it sets up like a pretty dystopian worldview of like, 
let's accept what you're saying is totally true that, you know, like I can be Erica and, you know, yeah. you can be Canuda. Why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? Well, and, <laughs> and look like, I, <laughs> however you want to live and choose to live, that's great. But like, there's this whole other problem that gets presented yeah. because we're trying to act like what the media has given us is the truth. And it's of a, it. like a pendulum thing because like all of these fights for, 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 certain group rights they come from these groups being very mistreated in the past absolutely so they come from a so they're trying to replace one system of authoritarianism with the, with another so if you if you think deeply about all of these issues it all boils down to individualism and property rights that's that's the only solution to all of it the show is also sponsored by zellox that's x-e-l-l-o-x They've developed the excellent Yokis Seed Plate Kit, the solution against everything life throws at you, including fire, water, corrosion, and pests. The Yokis package includes three stainless steel plates and a pen-sized electric engraver so you can write your seed on metal just like writing on paper. And they have big plans. They're developing a next-gen hardware wallet too. But for now, you can order the Yokis to safeguard your keys in a safe and convenient way. Check out Zellox at zellox.io. That's X-E-L-L-O-X dot I-O. And finally, we're also sponsored by BitcoinBook.shop, your source for Bitcoin books in over a dozen languages, including all of Knut's books. Their mission is to translate great Bitcoin and freedom-oriented books into as many languages as possible, while also publishing original titles to get even more knowledge out there. Use code FOOTPRINT for 10% off your purchases at BitcoinBook.shop. Yeah, I want to take this back like... uh uh, just to the the general level a little bit that the the i i've been playing around with an, an idea that this this the entire denial of a biological reality comes from that society has abandoned individuals from being able to be comfortable and safe in their identity yeah and the reason that this that i dig into this area is that I, I think we've understood this as a society. This is important to avoid. So there's a there's a Finnish poem, the Kalevala. It's 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 the Finnish epic poem, and it it's it's an oral tradition thing. It was largely untouched by Christianity, other things like this. Compiled in the the 1800s. So so this is this is something that came from a long long time ago. And there's there's a whole cycle of how. The, the symbol of society, a, a, a guy named Vainamoinen, and it is this magical wizard. Vainamoinen? Vainamoinen. Vainamoinen. Yes. <laughs> but he's the, he's the embodiment of, of society, essentially. And, and he is supposed to take uh, for, for uh, a wife the, the, the maiden Aino. Her name is Aino. The poem is called The Faith of Aino in, in English. But the idea is that... that the society put an overbearingness on the the ability of the the young woman to come into her identity, and so she drowns herself in a lake. Drowning and, and a woman drowning herself in, in a lake is, well, literally quite bad. But symbolically, it's it's the the feminine drowning itself in nothingness, putting itself into emptiness, like it, a, a, a girl chopping off her her tits, complete denial of of biological reality it's the 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 thing that these stories i see is actually kind of pointing to is that society is rotten and society is 
is making these things happen uh b- because because everything is wrong everything is uh, bad incentives individuals can't live within themselves so that's yeah it's it's like another one of my back my to ha- optimism <laughs> well well eric well, yeah, yeah like what do you, yeah. what do you think of that this is such a complicated topic and i think that the media has made it so reductivist that it becomes very difficult to have real dialogue about and so like what well, one of my main struggles is that and i read this from ambigan is that uh i'm so deeply suspicious of that part of what these ideas are is about trying to create uh this like false idea of individual empowerment to actually strip them of any other form of empowerment that exists in a deeper societal level and so like i think uh cuz like one of the phenomenon like specifically around this biological and trans thing is why does it seem that there's so many more male to female trans people than than male to female in addition to the male, male to, to male. female or i'm i'm sorry the the female to male sorry the that that identity it it's not as hyper vigilant or heard about and what i think is so interesting is cuz like like the frank truth is like look if if a male to female trans person wants to come and compete with me in almost any competition like i'm probably going to win and it's going to be kind of funny uh and like not to be an asshole but because like if i am like if you're matching me up with somebody who is my same weight category but can't hold the same muscle mass like uh-huh. yeah i'm i'm probably going to dominate them yeah but then there's this other weird part with uh the male to female trans population that presenting themselves as a woman and this is what Amigan was pointing out is that it seems to align with consumer capitalist culture almost perfectly and i and i'm very very suspicious of that because why is it that you as a woman have the full presentation of a very feminine sexualized woman but you don't have the child rearing capacities or the presentation around that or around uh like aged womanhood or like it all seems to be a deeply sexualized thing and it, and it just leaves me questioning in a lot of ways like i actually find like it it's the most sexist thing that can be presented yeah, yeah. because like the identity that you have as a woman is as a sexual object and not as a child rear and i like look i want to respect too that like saying a woman is only a child rear is also extremely sexist and that there's a balance in between the two but, but ex- you can't really have one without the other can well yeah but and <laughs> but what's so interesting is that the extreme viewpoints are both very sexist and that like yeah, a yeah. woman is a child rear and needs to stay yeah. in the home sexist is out a woman is like a sexual fuck object that should only be used <laughs> for sex totally sexist as well and i think that it's all of the in between it's the nuance and the complications of yeah. having dialogues like this that in my opinion traditional media absolutely does not want to have more than anything else it's very important to make these very contentious angry emotional debates that can't reach thoughtful conclusions where we can say hey maybe we don't see eye to eye on this but maybe we can have dialogue yeah and to me like that's the most important and critical thing that we need to return to that i think returning all the way back to bitcoin yeah we're doing is that we're having open dialogue yeah. because there aren't guardrails for us we need to include everything and have all of the debates possible yeah. because we just don't know what the real answers are but and this is a very important but i know through the true process of dialogue 
of us working together through dialogue to try to figure out what that truth is in between us, that's how we can find it. Yeah, and there's no other way, because if we remove violence from the equation entirely, which is sort of what Bitcoin does, there's only dialogue left. Like, uh, (laughs) humans have two ways of resolving conflict, speech and violence. That's what it boils down to. And it's so important to know and understand that the very act of trying to engage in speech helps negate the violence that is there otherwise, because we're saying, I don't want to engage in that. I'm I sincerely want to know and understand and talk to you. And I think that that's so important, particularly with where we're at in our media, because our media is deeply uninterested in having conversation. It's very interested in offering vitriol. Yeah, it it wants clicks and likes and retweets and stuff. Yeah, and it it turns out when you say hateful, radicalizing, (laughs) and absolute dialogues, that that drives a lot of clicks. And, And this is in a large part One of the greater problems that are going on is because it's reduced our time preference to such a short window that literal journalists are now just media mouthpieces that that fundamentally don't even understand what journalism is, you know, and this is part of the destruction of society on a whole right now. That's really sad. Yeah. Did you hear about the Chess Association? I I don't know what the name of the organization, but there's some international chess uh, association or organization that have uh, uh they're now preventing trans uh females from con- uh, competing in in uh in the female category in the chess championships oh yeah so it's okay for leah thomas to win a swimming competition and her shoulders are like twice as wide as the the girl the poor girls have got the silver medal but in chess is okay. But in chess, they can't compete. Like <laughs> that is so ironic and so awful and so funny at the same time on so many levels. So like I, I don't really know how to. Yeah. Well, I, I I think the concept of of a separate women's division in chess is super sexist. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. Well, the only reason it exists basically is is that there that there aren't any women who have climbed the ranks uh, to to compete with the the guys basically because no. the, the, there's there's been a couple of female chess super grandmasters that have come into basically the top 10 of the, of the world and and and, the, and one of them was raised as a chess prodigy from her very beginning Judit Polgar and 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 she she was in uh, the running for one of the world championships like 10 15 years ago something like that mm-hmm. But there aren't there are hardly any other women who who no. do that. So it's like, and you can have whatever theory you want on why that is the case, but but it's still it's a game where muscle mass plays absolutely no part. Like, well, the, I think nerdiness and and uh, time in the in yeah the game yeah plays so, a big so part. yeah yeah. But it, regardless, if you uh, <laughs> if you think that there are differences inherent differences between male and female brains or not. Uh, why are there different categories like why is that why is that a thing at all you know like i and like this is one of the the great problems that i think have been presented is that through this homogenizing of all people and saying that a man is a woman like everybody's yeah everybody's equal no matter what at any point in time uh like it it 
And like, this is the same thing that's going on in the United States, you know, with ideas like uh, reparations payments towards people that are former slaves or whatever. First of all, like there is no one in the United States today that is a former slave. That's really important. No, they're current slave. Well, we're all current tax <laughs> slaves, but it, it ends up going to these places that despite the fact that it doesn't want to be racist or sexist, it becomes like the most racist and the most sexist yeah. possible thing. Yeah. And it, and it's really funny because uh, this is something that my ex actually pointed out to was that like, in her opinion, and I hope I don't get flamed too much, but in her opinion, like tra trans women are like the most sexist presentation of women because like yeah. you have a biological man telling women, insisting to women that they are a woman. And if you deny yeah. that they are a woman, that person actually is sexist. And uh, then yeah. furthermore, you're having the men come into women's competitions, beating the shit out of them in it and saying, you need to respect yeah. and honor that because I'm also a woman. Yeah. And again, like to me, this is a leg too far. We can say, hey, if you want to have your own category, however you want to identify, but you trying to take away the actual differences between us as people. And furthermore, you just not actually respecting enough in a way to say, hey, maybe. Well, and the thing that I find the most interesting is that I don't want to go into this because uh, I'll yeah, go yeah. slippery slope yeah, yeah, like yeah. dangerous territory. So. Okay. So to me, it's, it's easy. Like anything with the word anti in front of it is that thing. So an anti-racist is a racist. An anti-fascist is a fascist. If you're just a non-racist or non-fascist, that solves the problem. Like, don't don't put people into group categories, and you're you're fine. You're not you you don't fall into any of these categories. Is a, a an anti-sexist is also sexist. Like a, a non-sexist is a non-sexist. So an anti-trans is trans. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, like, maybe that's why they're so inflamed about it is because maybe they really identify that, yeah. that way. You know? But uh, back to individualism again, like the, the, the smallest minority group is always the person. So respect people like for what they are, individuals for what they are. They are not their group belonging. They are not their not. They're not their passport. They're not their skin color. They're not their sex. They're not their gender <laughs> not Absolutely. Their, like they're not their fucking football team they're a person and like one of the interesting places to extend this to is like there's totally intersexed and intergendered people that have two x's and a y or two two y's and yeah. you know however and it's important again we want to have space for them but i think one of the main problems that we've got to do <laughs> is, is that like you were saying you know by being anti-racist we start to become racist by being you know pro pro trans or anti this that it escalates to the forefront of the dialogue, that feature, which then almost becomes a sort of inescapability instead of just saying, hey, you're Jenny. Yeah. Like, okay, you used to be Jeff, whatever. Like, that, yeah. that's cool. Like, you know, we can what? still have a great debate and dialogue. Uh, and, and like, I think the biggest one is, is why do we have to lead with that? You know, like, yeah. why, why, do, why do I have to, you know, like, you don't see me coming in the conversation being like, hello, I'm Eric, a white male. How are you today? You know, <laughs> and like, people will be like, well, that's because you've always maintained the, patriarchal position yeah. <laughs> power you know and like some of some of these leftist catchphrases though i really like them because they they're actually true like my body my choice absolutely yes, yes. apply that to everything please yeah <laughs> like 
not you, to absolutely everything. Well, I'm like same thing. Like, uh, uh, yeah, guns are horrific tools of violence, and we absolutely need to make sure that that dangerous people are stripped of them. Uh, yeah. And let's start with the military and police because yeah, they yeah. kill the most <laughs> yeah, yeah. people. And there's also defund the police. Yes, and every other fucking institution. Yeah. Please start wherever you want. Just defund everything. Yeah, <laughs> leftists get really like they kind of glitch out when when I do that. I'm like. Yeah, absolutely. Women need to have a right to abortion. And and just like in the same way, I need to have a right that nobody should inject me with anything that I don't know about. No, I, and they're like, well, hang on. Or to inject yourself with whatever you want for that matter. Sure, <laughs> yeah. And, and like, 100%, I want to respect your body. You should respect that I want to put all kinds of different drugs and stuff into my <laughs> body, you know? And like, yeah, I don't know. At the end of the day, like... I'd it, even try baklava if it came to that, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like... Going back to earlier, what we were talking about, about the positivity, like we're in the middle of this extraordinary bloom that the Internet's providing. And we're like, these dialogues wouldn't happen anywhere else. There would never be a space for it. And people wouldn't even be aware of these forms of thought if no. it wasn't for the Internet. No. And so it's so extraordinary that we get to have a space where we get to talk about it. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe there's some point here that I'm absolutely missing and that, you know, leftists are 100 percent right. I'm pretty sure they're not. But I'm open to having a dialogue about it because I, I, I probably am missing something. Yeah. And what is the internet? It's just us communicating. Yeah. It's just an easier way for us to connect and communicate. That's that's all it is. And it's all through mathematics, which is also language. Like it's all about communication well, as as a substitute for violence. That's that's what it is. And like one of the key differences though is that now getting to sort of zoom in and use this language of math. Uh, like if I'm providing a cryptographic proof that is one number off, you can be like, that's, that's fucking wrong. And I'm like, yeah. oh, hang on. No, no, no. We're like really close. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. You're wrong. Yeah. It doesn't whereas, kill the rabbit. <laughs> like, whereas like if I say this beer bottle here is amber, you could go, well, no, that that's more of a brown. And I could go, well, <laughs> an ant. Well, and there's this metaphorical difference that always happens in language where we're always one degree removed from being able to have some like like we can never actually conclude whether this is brown or amber or something in between. Whereas with a cryptographic proof, it's absolutely certain whether or not this is the same proof or not. And to me, like that's sort of this more hyper resolution language that we have access uh, through cryptography that we're at a very, very rudimentary stage. In. Yeah. You know, like we're using it. We're using it almost as monkeys, just with the most rudimentary communication, which, you know, again, in the tradition of all of humanity, returning to the very beginning is like, this is the fucking origin of language. Like, I encounter another savage in the world and I go, oh, he's uh, shit me, Tarson, you, Jane. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go away. <laughs> he goes like, oh, wow, this is a great hat. I can't just like steal his hat because yeah. his gods will kill me. So like, <laughs> bottle, and I'll like take this hat. And then you're like, oh shit. Like if I if I like leave these stupid hats, this guy will like give me these super valuable bottles. Uh, yeah. And like, lo and behold, the yeah. global economy begins. Yeah. All trade is is communication. And amber is a good word because Bitcoin is cryptographic amber, right? And the more blocks that get added to the time chain, the more amber layers of amber uh, is around that transaction. And it's more and more irreversible the more time flows. This episode I, is sponsored by Amber app. Uh, <laughs> oh, the, is this uh, our plug for Amber? It, yeah. No, just, yeah. just kidding. Give oh, us okay. money, Izzy. So uh, <laughs> the, I, I wanted to do this one. Uh, one of my favorite comic strips is from Gary Larson, where he explains the four different personality types. So would you say that this glass is half full or half empty? 
We'll say half full, just because I'm a okay. So you fall into one of these four categories. In the first category, it's the people who say it's half full. The second category is the people who say it's half empty. The third category is the indec indecisive people who say it's half full, half empty. I don't really know. The agnostics of the world, you know? And the fourth cate uh, category, which I have observed through life, is by far the largest category of people. And it's the people who say, hey, I ordered a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's a good metaphor for yeah. all of life. And yeah, yeah. People approach. Yeah, yeah. Eric, thank you so much for coming on again. Absolutely. We'll be fucking trashy your friendship. And, Let's, you know, give us a hug. <laughs> Let's get it on video. <laughs> there we go. There we go. And get back to the conference. It's true. Yeah. Thanks again, Eric. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. So what did you think of that episode with Eric? His views on crypto sovereignty are definitely thought-provoking. I'm really looking forward to reading his book on the topic. What was your favorite moment? Let us know. You can send us a boostogram on Fountain, leave us a comment on YouTube, or get in touch on Nostra or Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the channel. Our show's sponsors are Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way, Zellox and BitcoinBook.shop. Check out their details in the description. That's all for now. See you next time and thanks for listening.